Christ the deer panteth for the water so my soul longeth after thee I love you more than any other so much more than anything you alone are my strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire Today we're continuing our look at Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104, and there's two things we've seen. We've seen that this section will help us develop a renewed mind, and then it'll give us a pathway for our feet. And so the first part is about the renewal of our mind. And notice how in verse Psalm 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. So it's love fuels meditation. But then it's meditation that then generates and feels love. So there's this beautiful cycle that, and what I want to do this morning is just walk you through a couple things in the passage to bring out some of its truth and vitality. Notice when you read through the first section, there's three more thans. The law, meditation, it it makes me more wise. There's more wisdom than my enemies more insight than my teachers, and more understanding than my traditions or the aged. And so it just shows the super abundance that the word brings. And one of the things it brings is wisdom, which is knowledge put to practical use. And it's the wisdom that the word brings that's his defense against his enemies. You'll find it interesting that his the way that works is that his, the commandments are his constant companions. Your commandments, they are ever mine. And so here you want to think, all right, what is it about the commandments? Why were the commandments his constant companions? And you think about the commands. You can think most obviously about the Ten Commandments. You know, they are the seeds that if you watered, they would grow and touch every area of life. That's the reality of the commandments. They're the core, the kernel, that if you really meditate on them and internalize them, they touch every issue of of life. And it's interesting to think through the the dynamic between these three more thans. You want to wrestle with it. All right, what's the connection? How does the word shape these three things? What's the connection between the commands and a defense against the enemies? And I wonder if it's not related to the fact that enemies, one of the things they will do is they will issue other commands. They will issue demands. They will demand obedience. But obedience to them does not bring life. It brings death. It's only obedience to these commands that bring life. Or you think about what's the connection between the testimonies and his teachers? What are the testimonies? Remember, the testimonies are all of the stories 
of God's redemptive work in ages past. And it's fascinating to think, all right, how are the testimonies such powerful teachers? You know, the greatest teacher we can have is how God has worked in the past. I think it's why it's so important to know our history, know our church history, because the testimonies are our teachers. You know, remind I have a friend who teaches college, and he oh, says this joke that uh, you know, one time he was teaching, a history teacher, and was teasing his um, freshman students that uh, Alexander the Great, by the time he was their age, had conquered half the world. And he asked them, what have you guys done? And one of the students shot back and said, yeah, but he had Aristotle as a teacher. We only have you. And so who are our teachers? And here we see that it's the testimonies. They're meant to teach us. They're given for our instruction, and we need to know these things. And then you see that he can surpass his teachers. And if you think about it, that's the goal that any good teacher actually has for their students. They want their students to surpass them. But then this also draws you into the tension. On the, on the one hand, we want to honor and respect the opinion, opinions of those who are our teachers. But on the other hand, we're not slavishly put under them. The word is always our great authority. It is what we are committed to. I love what J.I. Packer says to his classes. He always tells them, your responsibility to your students is to think against me until you have until I give you enough biblical warrant to think with me. He doesn't want them just to slavishly say, "Oh, J.I. Packer says, so it must be right." He wants them to wrestle with what he's saying biblically. But one of our problems in many ways is that we're not biblical enough. We settle for trite and sentimental and surface understandings. And one of the things I think this psalm in particular pushes us towards is having a deep, formative, archetypal way of viewing scriptures, that it actually provides the the structure and the framework for how we view all things. This is why it's so important that they're my constant companions, my continual meditation, so it shapes all that we do and think. But then there's a beautiful transition between a mind that is saturated with the Word and then a life that lives it faithfully. You know, real Bible study is more than just Bible study. It's also Bible living. The practical result from Bible thought is not cleverness, but it's godliness. So notice the bracket from 101 to 104. It's bracketed by that phrase, every evil way or every false way. You have restrained my feet from the evil way. You have restrained it. God has kept us. But then also the reality that I hate, the twin dynamic of the Lord sovereignly keeps you, but then you also hate and fight. You know, I'm reminded of that line that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And so it's this book that keeps our life pure, our path pure. And notice how it happens. It happens by having a commitment in verse 102. I will not turn aside. So I am committed. I am resolved. Uh, but then it, that commitment is also combined with the taste. Your words are sweet, sweeter than honey. So it's not just an ironclad will and resolved. It's also a heart that's captured by affection. And both of those things 
are needed. You know, it really makes me wonder, how do you develop for my own self and for our church and our, my children, how do I help us develop a taste for the word? I don't know if you've ever seen a child, the first time they taste something like sour or real spicy or taste something like mustard, and you just have that uh, nose-curling revulsion. But we have some funny videos of the first time our children, first time Benjamin tasted ice cream. It was a very different response. Now, I wonder, how can we make tasting the word just like that? Because I think naturally, in our flesh, we taste the word as like that first taste of mustard. It's an acquired taste. But we have to get it to the point where tasting it is like tasting ice cream or tasting honey. It's sweet to us. And that's how we stay on the path. That's how we stay protected. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and holy go